Hello, everybody. Johnny here. This podcast was 30 years in the making. JT Money, Mr. Reese Argo, and myself sit down and discuss Pearl Jam's 10, which was released 30 years ago this month. We rank the album by going through each track in order. Some great choices here as far as our ranking goes and some surprises. We also discussed some side notes as far as the history of the album and the record company's expectations. And also a little bit of discussion on Lollapalooza 2021, the DG's album, and how some of the new rock that's out there is very inspiring. I hope you enjoy it. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can get a hold of me on my email, ozomotfan87 at gmail.com. That's O-Z-O-M-A-T-F-A-N 87 at gmail.com. Also, you can get a hold of me at Facebook at musicmadeseeds.com. Please rate us at the bottom. I would love to hear back from you, especially all the Pearl Jam fans out there. Also, just uh, give me a shout out if you like. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. Once upon a time. What a way to start an album out, huh? Mm. Yes. Um, Back again with Mr. Reese Argo and John J.T. Money Turner. Hello. This is Johnny here, and uh, today we are going to discuss an album that was released August 27th, 1991, 30 years ago. An album that, for me, it was... My senior year in high school, this this album became popular. Wow. And it was quite the ride because it was a transition in music in general for me and for everybody for that matter. So I'm looking very forward to uh, talking about Pearl Jam 10 with also Cece, our mascot. And uh, like I was saying, the summer of 91, this uh, album came out. And uh, which I consider one of the best summers of my life before my senior year and before I got to see my favorite band for the first time because that following summer, I in 92, I saw them at the Lollapalooza tour. So, uh, JT, well, you were eight? Ten. Ten. Ten, yeah. ten ironically enough, ten. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't pull that one. You guys know why they named it ten? Oh, no. That's good trivia. Mookie Baylock's number was 10. And if you know any of your Pearl Jam history, that was their original name, Mookie Mm -hmm. Blaylock. But when they got signed with Epic Records, they made them change the name because they thought for licensing reasons they probably could have to dish out some money. So Uh, Mookie Blaylock, who played for... Uh, no, he was a net, a hawk, net. and a Golden State Warrior. Oh, well, there it's we go. The Nets. Yeah, the it was the Nets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just loved his name so much, which is it is a great name. It is. But uh, Pearl Jam's even better. And you guys, you know about the rumor of where Pearl Jam came from, right? Yes. I That's just kind of bodily admissions. So no. 
I thought I had. I heard no, that was the that. rumor. Uh, the rumor I gave you a hint about before we started the podcast. No, wasn't it? I remember seeing. I think it was on the uh, documentary. What's the big one they had? Just came out. The twenty PJ twenty. Yeah, PJ twenty. It was uh, Jeff Ament was talking about it. Uh-huh. They, they were smoking a peace pipe, and that they were passing around ideas, uh-huh. and that they heard Neil Young say to them, uh, "Jam." Jam. They kept you kept saying jam. I don't know if that's the deal or. <laughs> wow, I love this. I, I do love this. this that's is why cool. I was just like, okay, that makes sense. Like you're just Uncle Neil. Around. Yeah, you're just throwing around a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff. Now they were high, obviously. So they well, and that's what the funny thing is: is the the big rumor apparently at that time that Eddie Vedder shut down when they were being interviewed, where they got their name when they first started out, was the rumor was that it was named after one of their relatives' grandmothers. Jam that was made that had peyote, like hints of peyote in it, and, oh, and, and then he's like, "No, it fucking not." You know, like, "Come on, man!" Like, you know, like, like, you know, like, let's start some crazy ass rumor. You know, so. it, who knows what the original probably is? By this no. time, there's probably so many myths around it. No, yeah, exactly, man. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, but to think about it now, I mean, Pearl Jam. You know, I mean. You know, I'm sure people are like, "What the fuck's what's a fuck's a Pearl Jam?" You know, it's like, but now, what the fuck a Pearl Jam is is one of the biggest bands in the world now. But uh, yes, um, do you guys know who the father are the foundation? The foundation of Pearl Jam is who's the one that pretty much like had the had the music down and then went from there. Do you guys know who that was? I would say it was Stone. You are yeah, correct, so. Mr. JT. Stone, and then. Uh... Oh, so it was Green Stone Red. and Jeff, yes. correct? Yeah, yeah. him Stone and Jeff, Red. him and Jeff, uh, Amon. I always fuck his name. And a little trivia, so I don't forget either. Or I know I'm jumping forward, but we'll come back after I say this: is that he's the one that created, the, obviously, like he has done before in the past, the album artwork. He's the one that came up with that idea, and apparently, he wanted it, them to be in black and white, and that the Pearl Jam would have been more focused in. Um, he made that out of wood, apparently, and I guess there's photos of that out there. So well, they do have a version they made for like I bought the version that came out like on the 10 year anniversary of that, where they had mm-hmm. the remaster and the original form, where they kind of like compressed the sound and yeah, uh, and it may very well be the same one, but like I has that same kind of cover on mine. Jeff has went on to make some really great artwork and for a lot of his albums, so that was a great little start, I think, because that album obviously sticks out. They wanted it more of um, more of like a um, maroon color, and it came out pink, which I think was more of the record company's idea, which they were not thrilled about from what I read. Uh, yeah, Stone, Stone and Jeff uh, was the, the core of this band, and still are the core of the band, but it's amazing how all of them have had this amazing contribution to like everything that is that band you know what they did was as far as like stone basically laid down the track tracks and recordings and stuff and that a lot of it was influenced because of his it was like three during the three month period after uh they lost andrew so like he was going through all this emotion and stuff which you can feel in the music like immensely the story is is that jack irons who was a friend of uh theirs who was in Red Hot Chili Peppers, had this buddy that he surfed with named Eddie Vedder. And Eddie Vedder got a, a demo of this tape, basically took off with that. Like, just, like, the first three songs, I believe, were uh, 
Alive, Footsteps, and Oceans. I believe it was those three songs. And it was um, actually Mama San was the name of yep. the three songs, right? Yep. Is that what you heard? Yep, it was a demo tape. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think that's really interesting to hear that, you know, here here is this surfer dude from San Diego who, you know, originally at one time lived in Chicago. You know, big Cubs fan as me and, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, Wasn't that in San Diego? Wasn't that where they were yeah. or whatever? Yeah, uh-huh. Which is so crazy. So anyway, so they got together, and within the first few days, um, actually, Mike McCready was involved with them also before they met Eddie. So Mike and Stone were jamming together with Jeff, and as you know, I've told in the previous story, Mike almost gave up the guitar completely until he went to a Stevie Ray Vaughan concert. So, which blows my mind that Stevie Ray Vaughan was basically his influence to continue playing guitar. And to my opinion, I think John John can concur. He loves him a lot too. Yeah. You know, he actually oh, yeah. um, John out of all the three of us plays guitar and actually has came quite a ways playing the guitar and so I'm sure you've tried to learn a few of his licks. Yeah, I mean, of course he stole his lick. I think everyone steals from everyone, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. kind of... We'll get into a little more, too, about like how he approached guitar versus how Stone did. Mm-hmm. So I have an article here from Yeah, guitar go ahead, Maxine. man. I want to hear we, what we, we, can, we can get into it as we go further down into the dissecting mm-hmm. the album, but yeah, just like you said, he just really on the Stevie Ray Vaughan train kind of yeah. approaching it. So, Which I think Stevie Vaughan, as we get older you're going to see a lot of guys get influenced by him more and more because he 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 was one with his music but that's a whole other subject so this was mixed um at the london bridge studios in seattle between march and april of 91 so during the march and april of 91 this album was recorded and by august they had it out so you know the record company was like we're putting this shit out yeah you know they weren't like we're not we're not shelving this this is going out that's pretty amazing to think about, man. You know, like I was when I was reading, I was like, okay, I want to make sure I got that correct, and I was like, yeah, it's what it says. And um, they went and they mixed it though at this place called Ridge Farm Studios, and I'm probably screwing that up. Dorking, England, D O R K N G. Um, please, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but do you know who the drummer on the album was? Brad Cruson. Yeah. Dave Cruson. Dave Cruson. Dave Cruson. Dave, yeah, Dave Cruson. Yeah. So the two Daves, basically, yeah. is the story of this. Um, Jack did not want to be in the group. That's why Jack Irons forwarded that tape on to Eddie. But Jack eventually would come in, play with them for a short stint, eventually down the line. Dave had a, had a, some issues, and he kind of was like went to the sidelines and was like not going to tour with them. And then eventually Dave Abruze, uh was, uh, was their drummer from there on out. I always say it's like that Pearl Jam in their early history has a spinal tap kind of... Uh, mystique to them because yeah. they went through so many drummers. Right there, but I mean, even then, like, Dave Cruzen went on to drum with Candlebox at one point, who was another band that kind of came out shortly after the whole... I mean, like, like we brought up, like, the whole Matt Cameron adventure coming in, having mm-hmm. played in Soundgarden, a lot of these bands just kind of yeah. passed mm-hmm. one along. Jack Irons with the Pearl Jam and then with the Chili Peppers, who... Yes. We'll bring something up. I read in an article here about, like, their first tour yeah. was actually with the Chili Peppers. Yeah, and so. that's... They... They, they took away also a headlining bill, like they were going to do their own little tour, but like, no, we're touring with the Chili Peppers instead. <laughs> yeah. So they, they knew that it would, one, probably wouldn't widen their audience, but two, they would have fun. You know, they were looking to have, you know, a good time and enjoy the tour. And like we talked about in the last podcast together, how that album blew up the Chili Peppers. That They went from like a fun little funky band to like 
this humongous fucking band. And from there on out, it was just catapulting. For them at that time, to quote-unquote ride the coattails of that fame, just boost their um, popularity more. What really boosted the popularity of this album was when they finally, like, because all their videos before were, like, live footage of their touring. Even Flow was first, and then Alive. They took the live footage and put, obviously, the track of the album over the live audio. They did that with a lot of videos back in the day. And you will see, actually, in the first video, Even Flow, you'll see Dave in that video. He's in that actual video, and it kind of blows your mind because you're like, you went from, you know, one Dave to the other Dave. What I thought, though, was that they were getting so big, and they knew, because they were a very political band, we've talked about this before, that they wanted a big impact as far as, like, our first video. So their first video, me and Jeremy, was like a humongous fucking catapult because it talked about gun violence in schools. And even before, this is before Columbine, this is yeah. before, I mean, it was a huge deal, and the video was made, and then they edited out the ending of it, where you see the splatter blood everywhere, and they re-released it finally after all these years, like last year or the year before, I'm not sure, and it had actually the whole footage, and with anything being said with that, that's, you talk about a band foreshadowing what was going on in America before it even blew up more and more, I mean, not to, it's a terrible word to use, but... yeah. It definitely was, they definitely foreshadowed a lot of stuff that was going on. And to have Jeremy get released and to make it like this really big deal. Like I was telling Reese before you came here, JT, that uh, that song was so saturated and so overplayed that unfortunately what we're going to get to next here is our top rated song. So what we're going to do, I thought about this, is that we're going to talk about the first track and then say where it rates on your list. So... First track I, I mentioned right in the beginning of the podcast was uh, Once. I ranked that uh, number seven. The, the lyric I, la- I love the most in that is, I admit it, what's to say, I relive it without pain. Right there, every song is going to have a lot of emotion in it, but what did you rank uh, yours at, Reese? Uh, number one. Number so one? Yep. Yeah, wow. Just because that was my first introduction to Pearl Jam, because on their Greatest Hits album... I remember I was only like nine, mm-hmm. so to me that was that was a big song because that got played a lot. And that was I know I'd said it in the past podcast, but to me I didn't like it. I didn't like Pearl Jam. Period. I just thought it was really loud and obnoxious. I was like I don't get it. My dad loved it, so that was kind of my first one. Now it's like once I started getting into them, I more and more I listened to that song. And I was like, wow, this is a tone setting song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It sets a tone for this whole album, in my it, opinion. And it's a great song to hear live because they just. It just they can stretch out that part that dun dun, dun, dun they've done it before live that dun 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 this they stretch it out and just he kind of like sometimes will speak during it you know live I've noticed too yes and it was uh, they do that too in the next album so that's it was like a, oh yeah once and go it's, like a, it's a great kickoff song to an album what do you rank it controversially I put it like at number ten of eleven I mean mm-hmm. it's such a good song but. When this album, like, top to bottom is filled with great songs, it's yeah. just where it stacks up. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean... It is hard. It's, Believe it's, me. It's, I told them I changed it a couple before. I would say I, it's yeah. probably one of the best, like, first track songs on any album, but everything that follows it on this album, yeah. it's just so hard to say. It's really... It's, is, like, it's like you ask your... It's like if you're... Like, your family's like, who's your favorite child? You ask your mom or dad. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, there's some certain things they like about one child versus the other, but it's just so hard to be like... 
Yeah. So this not, is the song. Like, there's got to be a song that's number ten and number yeah. eleven on that album, and we'll we'll get to it at some point. Yeah. But it's just well, and here's the thing too. I agree a hundred percent on what you're saying because I listened to this album twice in the last twenty four hours, and I'm listening to the track, and I'm like, which one don't I like the most? And I'm like. Well, you know, and it's like, it's really hard because there's not a song like, like I could do without yeah. that song because when you hear this, this, the album from beginning to end. I think it sets end, the tone for the album, but like the tone it sets like just gets better and better on each song. So yes. that's just why it's so hard to be like, it's a good song, but like, it's like ranking Abbey Road. That's like a house <laughs> yeah. the rank. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even Octopus's Garden has its place in the album. I so think it's just it's emotion. Kind of- like yeah. I'm emotionally tied to that song. There's, you know what I mean. That's oh, yeah. kind of yeah. how I ranked it versus like we'll, yeah. we'll get on. I don't want to go yeah. any further. No, 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 no. That's good. Emotion plays a big part with this album. We'll get into that. And uh, so then the second track on this album was actually their first release, and that was uh, Even Flow. And uh, Even Flow, I rank number six. We all know that this is about a, a homeless man. I have thoughts about that. There's another track. Obviously, we talked about Jeremy being about you know a kid in school. This is about homelessness. So here, I mean, like, going from, like, the pop 80s to, like, the end of this, like, you know, beginning, or sorry, the beginning of this new decade in 91, and then you hear all these songs that deal with, you know, different kinds of um, stuff that was going on that nobody really talked about. That's, that says a lot of, about Eddie. You know, he was, I'm going to make an impact here one way or another, whether this takes off or not. So where did you rank Even Flow, JT? I ranked it at number four. I mean, it's yeah. great song. I mean, out of, like, the big singles... With the exceptional one we'll get to, but like I think it just has like the best break. We get to that breakdown, just like Mike's doing those little like licks that dun, 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 like those kind of just slows up and then it goes into that final chorus. I mean, yeah, kind of builds and crests and it, and that's what they're known for too. They're really good at building those crescendos and I mean the the, the highs and the lows and that's what a lot of the grunge quote unquote era was really good at. If you look at a lot of those bands, they're really good at doing the the, the hard and the uh, low. And a lot of them pay homage to Neil Young, I think, on that, too, because Neil was really good about doing that, too. What did you rank it at? Uh, I have it at five. And that's, that's about where we all did. But as far as what JT was saying is the guitar solo, to me, mm-hmm. the breakdown in that is, like, iconic to where you can you listen to the song a few times and you know every single part of the guitar solo. You know yes. what I mean? It's like one of those classic rock songs that you're just like, and- I know every... I think it harkens back to like where he was into like the BB King and Stevie Ray Vaughan, where it's not it's not a flashy like hairbanger solo. It's just a real tasteful couple of notes mm-hmm. and getting all the emotion out of like three or four notes on a scale and being able to throw it out there. I mean, it's one of those things as a kid like before you start playing guitar, you're like, man, I can never play that. You realize just playing like two or three notes and just holding them for the right time and getting them, and that's yeah. just what makes it so amazing. You know, it's like he's not finger tapping doing the Eddie Van Halen thing just. Strictly a couple notes and make you feel what he's playing, kind of. And that's there's nothing better than that in the music. When you have, we're gonna bring this up that you talked about Eddie because we were just uh, before this podcast like, earlier this morning. I sent a message because I totally didn't realize that that this was the 60 year anniversary of me and you seeing Eddie uh, Van yeah. Halen. We were lucky enough to see Eddie before he passed away, and not to say that Eddie was not influenced by, you know, or Mike was not influenced by Eddie, you know, I'm sure he was. But so. Yeah, I think Mike was a huge metalhead, but I think he just came disillusioned like a lot of people did towards yeah. the end of that, and his rediscovering the blues and all that kind of... I think they wanted more taste. feeling. 
I think what you said right earlier, like they wanted more feeling, and that's what music eventually and did when the '90s came. It came in with a punch, and he, and he still plays that feel too. You know, I mean, yeah. I think they try to take all their influences and put it in and mesh it into what they're doing. And I mean, think overall, that's what made this album really great, is because it was a mesh of different musical interests and likes and motions, and so it makes you feel really alive. Which is the next track. So Alive was the third track on this album. Alive was actually reissued last week on a 12-inch single and cassette at Record Store Day, which was really cool to see because they have like the original kind of black cover of the uh, Stickman on there. I ranked uh, Alive number two. My quote from that is, and if so, who answers? Because, I mean, that's... You got to understand, I was a teenage boy listening to this album over and over and over again. There's a lot of lyrics in a lot of these songs that may have a lot of meaning. What did you uh, rank this at, Reese? I have it at eight, controversially. I have heard this song so many times. I kind of have the, the JT on the mm-hmm. line. And I, and, I, and I read, like, Reddit boards. I was trying to see where my rankings compared to people on Reddit. I type in Reddit, like, top, like, ten Pearl Jam songs ranked. A lot of people were like that. They, a lot of people were saying that with Journey. Like, same thing. It's like, played so much. It's like, it's like not saying it's not a good song, but I yeah. just heard it so many times. That I began to appreciate the deeper cuts better because you had to like buy the album and get into it. And I think too, going to a lot of Pearl Jam shows, as you guys know, is kind of like Alive is the crowd pleaser. Yes. It's a song that everybody knows, they love it, but I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get another beer at this song. That for yeah. me. I mean, even though it's greatly done, you know, you're kind of like, eh, okay. There for might me, be something even better coming around yeah, the corner. For yeah. me, going to a Pearl Jam concert, that's Do the Evolution is that one because they play that one every single concert. It's like, I've replaced that with 20 songs in their catalog, but I think that's their crowd pleaser too. Yeah. But oh, it's yeah. like, but it's just like. You know who's yeah. on the same page as both of you? Eddie. Eddie did not like playing that song for years. I read it, I read it, read it what? when I was reading one of their articles, and I was right. like, he said, and it just recently, I think he said in 2016 that he, he feels more comfortable with it now, but he said that it was just one of those things he said, like you guys, like he just, I think he got tired of playing it, you know, like. Well, it's crazy, is it has such a, a deep meaning to the song, but it doesn't matter. If you hear a song too many times, you'll get. It's almost like and that's why I felt with, that with Jeremy. So I was like, yeah. I've just heard it so many times. I just I know it front and backs and all the little little dun 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 and all that. And what'd you rank it at? Uh, I ranked alive at six. It's it's middle of the pack. I mean, mm-hmm. I really kind of love that drum fill. Like after the intro, before they go into the first verse, that and then like the kick. But same thing. I mean, end solo, another simple kind of E minor pentatonic, like real Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of feel. It's like yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just the crowd pleaser where Mike can kind of get his rocks off and... Yeah, they always it's, do it's, break it down super, like, different. I will say that. Yeah. Every show is like... Because they're probably sick of playing the yeah. same song, so every time I go is totally different, I think. But, I mean, yeah, that song is more just like the drums and what the actual guitar is doing. But, like I said, it's got better deep cuts, which we're going to get into, which is why it's just middle of the pack. It's... Of all the of all like the heavily played like radio singles, that's probably gonna be like my lower ranked one. So yeah, I agree. And then going into to number four here, folks. Uh, why go? Why go? I rank number three. That's you know it's like they call the song "Why Go," but "Why Go Home" is the song that's in the lyrics when you repeat it. Why go home? Why? It's basically what is it like to be in a psychiatric hospital? Is what the song's about. And about, I believe it's a female, right? Is that what yeah, I was saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, psychiatrically, in general, 
I think CC agrees on that one. That that song. That's why why I name it number three is because, like I said, also with these other songs, there's a lot of things that deal with different subjects. There, here's just a song about a girl that has never felt wanted. That touches home to me because I always like to feel like I'm speaking out to like the people out there that are the hardest to deal with life sometimes. Why Go is important to me, and I still. That was what was so hard about ranking these songs is that. This emotionally to me, this is why Why Go is up there at number three. Is because I love the song. I think it's a great song, and when I hear that one live, I really feel the the, the music and the lyrics to that. What'd you rank that at, JT? I put it at nine. I mean, it was my first time seeing Pearl Jam. That was the first song they came out and played. Because uh, I'm in 2007 at Lala Palooza. That uh-huh. was their opener. I should have brought up all the sads, wow, but it's like we'll get into cool. more. We'll get into the no, that's a great one. You can go on with that. No, like, no, like we're going to get into more, like, because I looked up, like, how many times they've played songs on uh-huh. the 10 over the past 30 years. So it's just kind of getting mm-hmm. an idea. Why go? What a way to, way to kick out a show, man. That's, uh-huh. yeah, it's, that's uh, a great one, man. Usually start. What'd you rank it at? Uh, I put it at six. It was tough for me because I was kind of in your, your vein there. I wanted yeah. to throw it up higher. Just listened back to it this morning again. I was like, man, that is such a killer rocking song. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. A foot stomping song, but her live too is amazing. Once I started stacking up the other songs, I was like, eh, it kind of falls and it's in that middle of the pack. Uh, I mean, it sounds like the song "Go" kind of off verse, so yeah. it's kind of like it's just like it's got their their trademark, you know, sound. But as far as you said, you know, lyrically, I think he regrets making that song now because his age. It's one of those songs, like, you have to get up and sing this song, because he's, like, belting it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's probably like, oh, man, I'm not looking forward to this one. He's got to go hard on that song, but, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I've even seen it live, but I'd love to. I mean, it's one of their more played songs. I mean, we can get in after a certain point to the breakdown, like, how many times each song's been played over 30 yeah. years. I mean, why go, at least as when this was up on the set list website, they played it 463 times the 30 years since the album. Yeah, we can kind of get into like the least played and the most played. What is the least played? Least played be oceans. Wow, which I believe I've seen. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's only played a hundred times, so it's kind of like when you. Well, we've been lucky enough to hear it. Yeah, like in another one, I've seen. Yeah, least played is oceans. Really, just really good song. Yeah, I mean, uh, I ranked. uh, Well, we're getting ahead of the game. We're getting ahead of the game. (laughs) All right, so we. uh, we, The next track is uh, black. And I cannot think of one female who doesn't love Pearl Jam who doesn't love that song. I, 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 every, I'm serious, dude. I, like, a lot of girls I know love that song. I love that song because, I'm going to tell you right now, this is back memory lane when this album came out. I played that song over and over again because I was in love with this girl in high school. <laughs> and so those lyrics to me, you know, I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be the star in somebody else's sky but why why you know it's the truth man that those lyrics man will when you hear a certain song and it like reflects into your life the emotion of that song even catapults further as far as i'm concerned and it brings back those memories of well a love hurt you know and uh i'm sure that you know many people have dealt with that and black cannot be played enough some people get sick of it but i i, I think it's an amazing fucking song Where, where'd you rank it jt number one on my list. Wow, holy uh, shit. Yeah, it, it was a tough call, but it's just like I said, right that, that line about being a star in someone else's sky and just like the whole kind of like Hendrixy chords going on underneath in the verses yeah. and just 
I mean, it's just like, you feel the emotion, I mean, it's like, it'd almost be like a lie being, I mean, being about his dad, not being his dad, but like, mm-hmm. Black's just more of like that general emotion, because you don't have to feel like, hey, I was, killed this guy, it's like something we've all felt, like just that emotion, and it's just, Relatable. like I said, it, and like I said, just super simple song, just, but mm-hmm. like, just it's hard hitting. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, if you're going to have to pick one, I mean, that's just like one where you can kind of get the feels and like, it's, we're, and like, oh we're, at the end, we're like, Mike McCready's like doubling the doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doos mm-hmm. under, the, under the guitar, like, you can sing it, Yeah, it's just like, and that's just when he, he just like, looks at the crowd and just like, he doesn't what? even sing, like, the crowd just, just takes over. To him. Yeah, and I mean, you can feel it in Eddie's voice, like, when he's going, wah, wah, just, wah, he's just screaming that, you know, and like, you can tell, like, he put a lot of motion into it, man. What did you rank it at, Reese? Two. It was tough. Yeah. Wow. But, but once was kind of my intro, so that's why I want that. But, yeah, number two. To me, that is, like, that comes on, the whole crowd gets behind that song. Especially mm-hmm. when they do the do-do-do-do-do, that part of the I, song. I get goosebumps every time I hear yes, that live, dude. That is, like, a, an, that's a crowd pleaser, but to me, that's the best song on this album, mm-hmm. probably, like, yeah. musically, in my opinion, because... Yeah. It can go like you said. It can go with anybody. That's probably why a lot of women love this. Yeah, it's tune. like it's a, it's a three chord song. Yeah, like yeah. I could teach it to you guys in twenty minutes, and you can play it. You <laughs> that, can play it I mean, I'm just saying, like they're writing a song that's touched how many millions of people, but it's like it's just three simple chords. You know? And that's my wife's favorite song. Yeah, believe it or not, I'll believe. I'll see. And it's it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. And I, I think for like the rest of his life, he's probably like. I'm not gonna say the rest was like probably all of his life. He's had probably many women come up to him and go, "That's that's my favorite song." And True. he probably, you know, if you were if he was if you were to ask him that question, I'm sure he would be able to tell you that. The next track obviously was the one we've been talking about. Or I've been talking about mainly about how I felt it was just overplayed. It's not a bad song. I don't think it's a bad song. It was just like when you hear that summer hit and you hear it over and over and over and over and over again, and you like you turn on MTV when you, when when, it, when you were my age and it's on all the time and being played all the time and it's great because the message was really important as far as you know gun violence they put shirts out about it i can't remember what the exact quote was it was like one in three kids prefer crayons over guns and that was the shirt that they had out you know and it was i think it was just that point where people everyone was trying to become like socially conscious because i mean you had like soul asylum with like runaway train same kind yes. of thing it was just kind of like bringing to light things you didn't want to talk about like, yeah mm-hmm. it's like living in the suburbs it's like you were pretty insulated from stuff going on i mean sure. even though half the stuff was going on in the suburbs people want to pretend it wasn't going on it was like only a big city problem but they're saying like hey it's your neighbor your neighbor my neighbor it's just yeah it, it, it's happening like you can't mm-hmm. it's like and now i think it's more or less guns and like the opioid crisis i think that's today's guns and yes. missing kids kind of thing where yeah. it can hit no matter where you are well and, i think what's saddest part about it is that was in what year that was 92. Well, yeah, 92, 90, the song was released. For, we still have these issues today. Yeah. And you said how big was that song? That song, was, that, that song had to be top five for I, that year. I was negative, too, so I don't, yeah. I don't remember what that was like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, negative, so. uh, I, I ranked it uh, number 10, not, not because I, it's just I've heard it so many times that it's not one I, I seek when I hear them live. It's so not you're, like you're I'm a like, Jeremy Hater. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, I just... You know, if you were born during that time and you heard that song, it's yeah. like if you're a fan of Pearl Jam, you're probably not wanting to hear Jeremy. You know, I mean, it's like a live for me. Yeah, it's yeah. like I love it. I'll listen to it. I'm not gonna probably turn it, but yeah, eh, it's alright. What'd you rank it at? Uh, I had it seven. Seven. It's middle of the rotor. I had I mind at eight. I think we're all kind of like that 
rear of the pack. Like I said, uh-huh. great song, just so many songs I could want to hear before that. Exactly. But I will say, I think the five times I've seen them in concert, it may have been played twice, so it's not like I've seen them mm-hmm. play it every single time. What I like is that I can say this now. On side two of this album, when it was on vinyl and on cassette, obviously if you're listening to it on a streaming which, or a CD. Which is kind of weird the way it's sequenced. I mean, the next song we're going to go into, I would have thought might have been one to kind of end side one, just because like mm-hmm. how, how short the track is and how it goes. A little side note, uh, when I always think of side two, Full Moon Fever yes is what comes in my head when he's like no I'm allowing you to flip over your cassette or your you know Tom Petty talks <laughs> thing. Yeah. Like, I love that I wish more people would do that and it, yeah. it's reality you had to get up and, and it's, take it, it's hard in today's society like when you get an album it's like trying to imagine like where the artist wanted the split side A and side B like just some well written albums like you know definitely here's where the album ramps down then starts you off on a bright side on side two you know mm-hmm. I agree it's, it's, it's like... It was an art to make the album flow from track one to the end. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. It doesn't happen. It's, it's like it's like Abbey Road. You know, like, side two is going to be Here Comes the Sun. Like, you know, yeah. immediately oh, it just starts beautiful. it off. Yeah. So... No, I think... I, I, I'm glad I brought that up because I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately about, you know, especially going to Record Store Day last week and everything is like the appreciation just to listen to music and to enjoy it is a great feeling. And I love that vinyl kind of puts me in that position to sit back, release it, or listen to it and appreciate it more. With Side 2 starting, least played song live, uh, Oceans was the uh, number eight on my list. And because of this lyric alone, I mean, it's like I said, I could rank it up higher probably, but this lyric, because of this lyric, waves roll in my thoughts. So, I mean, he, you know, Eddie Big Surfer are, you know, I hope, I don't know if he still is. I've never seen any like... I'll bet he still Yeah, it makes me wonder. He would think he does. Him Um, and Jack Johnson hanging out. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you have it ranked at? I have it at 10. Um, to me, the melody in the song is what makes it for me. Like, as far as it just kind of an easy... To me, it should have been the first song on the album. This is what should have started the album at, mm-hmm. and then the rest of it just rocked. Like, that would have been kind of... I know it's their art. I'm just saying, for yeah. me, being biased. But it does set the tone for side two, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Because you have, you know, Garden, some of these other, like, more melodic... Uh, I'd say more grunge era songs, in my opinion, like kind of a Chris Cornelli type songs. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I like but, that. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, if I don't hear it live, I won't cry. It's yeah. Cornelli. Don't you mind want? it though. <laughs> I put it at number three because I mean, uh-huh. it's just See? there you go. It's just such a unique song in the context of the album. I mean, they play it in a non-standard tuning, so it allows them to kind of get different tones out of the song than the notes. I mean. And it's short. It doesn't, like, overstay its welcome. And, like I said, another one of songs kind of builds, explodes, and kind of goes back down. So it's kind of like, it's really probably like surfing a wave, like being on the ocean. It's kind of. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd connect to it more if I uh, surfed. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder yeah. if surfers, like, really connected to that, <laughs> that song. song. Like that. Yeah. Well, and I know who does right now is uh, Jackson Brown because his whole album is about how we're treating the ocean waters right now. Oh, really? Yeah, this, the, he's a big environmentalist, and he thinks that we need to be paying more attention to our ocean waters and all the damage we're doing to it and everything. And there's my political statement with the Pearl Jam 10 <laughs> album and Oceans. Uh, the next song, I I was been thinking about it, and this is my number one. I think Porch, to me, is like, if I had a list of songs I wanted to hear live, that is going to be on that list, no questions asked. There ain't going to be no middle anymore. 
I love the fast and the slow in that song and just the lyrics that song and just everything about that song when you hear it live you feel all those fans singing the lyrics and you feel the music being played porch number one uh what'd you get right at jt I put it at seven. I mean, uh-huh. it's just one of those middle of the road ones. I mean, I've seen him play it a couple of times when I saw him. It's just, yeah. I mean, he de- definitely does like a little better job live because he can extend out that opening a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the chorus is probably one of the best choruses. Yes. yes. But it's just like everything in between that's like it's okay. It just serves the purpose. Yeah. I mean, I, I put it at three. I love it just because of the live portion of it. When I think of porch, I just immediately think of Eddie swinging on him. Boulder. That's his go-to song for like, okay, we're gonna get to the guitar solo and then I'm gonna go run around act a fool, come back hopefully in you know, uh-huh. one piece. Because like Cause back in the day, used to get real crazy. Yeah, to the point where the people were scared in the, the venue. road. People were like, no. The road people, the venues. I mean, all of them were. Like, yeah, because the live fuck? they live goes a little slower. The intro, he's kind of doing it like, and the album just kicks right into it. It's like he doesn't take yeah. any time to. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. that so yeah, maybe the live if it were a live version. Yeah, it could be ranked higher, but on the album, it's like it. Like I said, emotion for me. It's when I'm at a show and I hear "Porch." That's one of those songs. That I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good one. Yeah, because yeah. it's like you see bands like The Grateful Dead. say you have to see them live to play this song. It's like Pearl Jam's like similar songs just sound the same live as they do on the album. But like that's one that definitely yeah takes on a new level when you see it live. Oh, it's the best live. It's to me, it's like I said, man. It, it, I want to hear that song live if I'm going to go mm. see them. But you've seen other artists where they play like verbatim the album to where they're doing it live. So uh-huh. you're like, it's like I could close my eyes and think I'm listening to the album. It's just so spot on to the version. It's like next song uh, on the list of tracks here. When I hear this song, it, it's another one of those like black and it's Garden. I don't question our existence. I just question what. Did they have to actually play the track fully through back then still, even in the 90s? You know how they had like reel-to-reels and you had to actually, yeah. there wasn't no, like you had to play the song. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't stop and they, no, they, it. Yeah, they would have to stop and then they could stop or they could begin again where they wanted to. They but they would, have, but they, but they, the but they would have to splice the tape. Yeah. Okay. They could do that. They could cut out a tape and then splice together. I just didn't know like how many times did it take for them, you know, to, to do like a... Yeah, that, but that. Months are alive. I know, but like today, for. I mean, once you invest your costs in your rig, like in your mastering, like you can record an album for five, ten thousand dollars Back then, you were booking like studios like $100 an hour plus the tape, plus your producer. Like you can see why they would give bands like two or three million dollar advances to record an album because you had. It took that long. And it would take them four to six months. I mean, the Beatles could knock it out in a month and a half, two, three months because they were. Just like add it, yeah. like they because yeah. they they just had to do it. Like, oh my god, I didn't know that was so expensive. I'm kind of the age where like I was at the tail end of that. Johnny's bands grew up listening to yeah. more, more the ones like U2 and all that. Like, yeah, uh-huh. now it's like you can make a professional album at home. Like, yeah, all these band True. members, it's like Eddie could be in Hawaii and then the boys could be back in Seattle. Like, they record the album, make them release without ever being in the same room. Yes, and you wouldn't know it. I don't know if I like that. Chemistry is huge, huge, and when you make a live album, that's why some bands like to do the whole, like, we're cutting it with all the mics, and we're cutting it, boom, like, all together. But when you're a band like Pearl Jam, who've been together 30 years, you can record from different studios, and you still get that feel, because they're listening to the track, they can, they play off. And you you know they have a track record of, you know what I mean, they actually have been together forever, so I wouldn't be as mad as, I don't know, I just think for your live experience, you'd probably, it would be more... Mm-hmm. cohesive to actually record the album together in a single place and then 
obviously it goes. But but even but even then, like the drummer comes in one day, then the bassist comes in. Usually they lay down the drums first when you're recording a track, so then the guitars Which, can come in and play to that. Mm-hmm. I'm th- I'm probably thinking of like '70s rock music where like but they even, all but sat even, in a room. We all played know, songs. Know, Are you thinking of uh, Cowbell and Don't Fear yeah. the Reaper? Yeah. <laughs> but, even, but even then, though, they would lay down the drum tracks first so they would have an idea of what they were playing. To. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they jam rough. Like, when you're doing the real deal recording, yeah. the drummer goes in, he does his thing, then they put the bass over the top, the guitar, then they add the vocals. You, yeah. you, you've never seen some of those uh, documentaries out there where they're breaking down the tracks? Uh-uh. And yeah, they're, they're on, uh, I know there's some on uh, Amazon. Yeah, so I'll, I'll send you some ones. They, like, they break down, like, Fleetwood Mac rumors, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Phil Collins uh, in the air tonight. Like they break down the tracks and how they came up with the tracks and made the music and everything. It's neat as fuck. Dude. Oh, it's okay. like, I mean, it's just, it's it's cool to see how they come up with the concept of a song. They did it actually uh, on that songster thing or whatever that was on Netflix where they break down certain tracks. And that's one thing too. With as far as you ever listen to like demo versions, or like this is the first take of like yes, you're like ugh. Because yeah. you've heard the, the yeah. solid thing, and then you yeah. go back, you're like, oh, but that's where it started from. And exactly. Like, oh, we can keep layering, let's add this to it. That new Metallica reissue they're coming out with has the original tracks when they were playing around with a Black Album. Oh, wow. So you should check that out. It's kind of wild hearing some of this stuff. Yeah. Next song was going to be Garden. I have that one up there at number four, and it's because of the lyric. The lyrics I like from the song is, I don't question our existence. I just question our modern needs. How true is that song 30 years later, man? I just, I thought about that last night listening to the song. I'm like, I just, more than now than ever, I just question, you know, I think our modern needs in life. Eddie, once again, just reaching out to me mentally on that song and feeling that emotion from those lyrics. Uh, Where did you guys rank that? I ranked that at uh, number four. Uh, I had Garden at five. I mean, mm-hmm. I like that arpeggio in the intro, kind of that, yeah. like that, like just real kind of, yeah. like I said, just more like now that I've been playing guitar, it's like, I kind of stopped approaching the lyricism. It's more, I'm just like how the music propels the lyrics. I mean, because that's another one too, where it just like builds into the chorus, just like real kind of slow verse and like, you just like, I will, mm-hmm. like real kind of. I mean, it's he's actually, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of social in some ways, too. Well, and I think, too, onto that lyric, you know, it's obviously they're always political or mind make you think, but I think this was the most, to me, if you would have took Eddie out and put Chris Cornell in, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. To me, oh, I that's, think, wow. That's, this is my Chris Cornell song for them, I think. Bold statement. There. I, I love them both, don't get me wrong. But yeah. Like, I mean, Eddie does not a lot of justice, but I'm just saying, yeah. I think Chris That would be Nell, awesome if you hooked it or yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's probably tapes somewhere. Yeah, yeah, he's probably in there messing around with it. <laughs> release that, Pearl Jam. Release it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, nine is where I, I placed it. So. And you said number seven? I said, uh, no, I said number five. Oh, number five. Yeah, oh, wow. Number five. I, have it, I have it up, like I said, I did, I'm just more about now, just like those little parts in the song that just yeah. like. Catch well, your ear. And that, that's what's so cool about this is going through and ranking this. He's got it at three. I got it at nine. You know, it's like, why mm-hmm. do you feel that way? And it could be a completely flipped when we first mm-hmm. heard the album or something. That's I, what I love about it. And I mean, yeah. that's another one. They played 158 times. I mean, <laughs> any guesses of like number one played song? I mean, it's pretty easy. We're off of 10. Off of 10. Okay, cool. Like, what's their um, most played song? Well, obviously Alive or Even yeah, Flow. Yeah, gotta be Alive, right? Even Flow. Oh, oh yeah. Even Flow. Yeah. 863 times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeremy, only 556. So we talk about Jeremy being overplayed. Yeah, because he didn't want to yeah. play it. Yeah, he I'm not sure he probably had a period like, we're not playing that song. 
I mean, we're almost at the end, but we can just kind of go even flow, 863, alive, 797. Yeah, Port, usually that's yeah. every. Port yeah. is yeah, 3. Yeah, Port is 6.07. Wow. Black at 582. Jeremy, 556. Why go, 463. So I'm guessing most of the time that's their opener, because that's just like uh-huh. a yeah. weird middle of the one. Once at 356. Probably a good seeing into this is deep at 214 because i mean that's gonna be our next song yes and then the final song which we'll talk about later down the road uh released at 173 yeah so i mean and it's funny we'll get into that too there's a story behind my list and my ranking and i was going to bring up at the end here about release um the next track like jt was saying is deep deep is the name of their monthly uh fan magazine too so there's a reference with that um, we just got that. I just got that in the mail actually uh, a month ago. Deep, um, I actually ranked last, and you know it, it has not not because of any particular reason. It just I, you look at the songs and that's where it ended up. And I'm like, it's not one that I seek out. Where did you rank that, JT? I ranked mine last, and I think the consensus I was reading like on Reddit just to see how my opinion gauged with everybody else is like someone was just like, you have eleven killer songs. Like one's got one's got to be at the bottom. Yeah, and I think it's just that one, just because it doesn't get played a whole lot. It's just not one that, like you mentioned, like most fans and some fans might have. It's it a at, deep cut. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least that one was fun. Yeah, no, but uh, I mean, it would just be one like you probably get like a diehard Ten Club members like, oh my god, like I that's my number one jam of all time. True. Yeah. Guaranteed, there's a guy. There's an antagonist out there that would yeah. say that. You know? Yeah, it's just like I don't know enough about the song. It's just, it just doesn't like come mm-hmm. to me. Like he'd play, be like, "Oh, is this song off? Like Vitology is off verse? Is mm-hmm. it?" And it's like, "Oh, it's off ten. It's not, oh, okay." And some of those like songs in the middle, you're like, yeah. "I bet you can't go home right now and name off the top of your head all the songs off Vitology." No, it's like even verse. Like some of the verse, like, "Oh, that one's on there." It's like, you yeah. just, it's just one of those Vitology songs. and and, uh, and uh, I call it the Pearl Jam self-titled album still because it was self-titled when it came out. Yeah. The, the second album, album was the, se- the second oh, album oh. was self-titled when it came out, and then during the process of it being out already, they call it verse. They went and changed it to verse. The Sheep album. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I, I agree that those two albums get mixed up. And Deep is one of those songs I think that does get overlooked. Not Nothing against it, and personally, it's just where, where it lays. Where did you lay it at? Dead last. So, wow. If, <laughs> if you... Uh, All three of us. I would tell you, though, yeah. if that song wasn't on the album, would you have known? It's just one of those songs that it's kind of like... They missed a perfect marketing opportunity, in my opinion. So, the album's called Ten, correct? Yeah. Ten out or ten songs. There you go. <laughs> you could have cut deep off, and we would have been perfectly fine. All hate mail can be sent in my uh, bottom of my podcast. So uh, if anybody wants to, I'm really... looking at it like a businessman, <laughs> but I'm just saying that would have been perfect. Three of us uh, ranked it last, and uh, well, I mean, it's uh, just yeah. I'm gonna bring up this now. The last song in this album, in my original list, I ranked it number nine, but then. As I was listening to it again for the second time, I thought to myself, no, no, this song has way too much meaning to me. Like, after listening to it again, I'm really, like, because the song has been in my head since yesterday, and then when I heard it again today, I was like, no, I love this song way, way too much. And I think, without getting too emotional with you guys here, it's because of my relationship with my father. And if anybody knows, like, I had a really... I had this relationship with my father that was difficult growing up, and now we're like really close. At this time of this song coming out, to like now and everything I've dealt with in my life, this song to me is pushing number one. It might knock Porch out, but it's a tie between like one and two right now for me because I'll ride the wave where it takes me 
Release Me. Where did you rank it, Reese? That was, I have it at four. That was one of the songs that I was toying with in the top three. For me, it's, uh, sometimes they open up with that song. Yes. It's kind of strange, but yes. I love the fact that they do that because... We saw them open up for, with that song, I think, didn't we? I, I think we did. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember which show it was, but I remember that being opener for one of the shows. But that's another song to me that is very close to uh, Indifference. Yes. It's one of those songs oh, yeah. that just, it just has, it's heavy, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you can play it anywhere in there, and it's like you're you're tuned to it, you're going to listen to it. It's not like a slow song there, kind of like, yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. go get a beer. It's like, it's one of those songs that you're like, ooh. I'm, I, and the lyrics, obviously, to yes. me are as relatable as you can get. Yeah, I I had mine at number two. Like it, like I said, I've right seen them on. five times. I saw them uh, second time was at Pearl Jam twenty, like night night one at Alpine oh, in twenty eleven. Like, <laughs> but they, no, they they opened up with that one, and then when I saw them in twenty fourteen, like the show before the mark where they uh, played in Detroit, they opened up with that. So like I've seen them open that song twice. They played it like only one hundred and fifty times in the thirty years. So it's it's a rare song. But I mean, it's just the opener just kind of sets the mood. You're like. Why are you playing this like slow kind of like derb song? But like, like he hits that like release me. It's like just like when you hear it live too. Like the audience gets into it. It's another song. It's like where... it's like lights just like super blue like dark lights. Just kind of like they just you don't know what to expect. It's just kind of. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect Eddie Vedder song. If you took release and you threw it on into the wild soundtrack or anything like that you wouldn't think twice about it. I think it's a perfect solo Eddie Vedder song like yes and if but it, it's a Pearl Jam song yeah and if not like an opening song like put it right smack in the middle of the set yeah like they play three three and a half hours like long yeah concerts it's like it's just something good in the middle to kind of like ramp you up like okay we're gonna calm you down with a couple good ones just a good middle of the yeah. middle of the night song oh, 100% I mean, JT you call it I mean, right I mean it's good to kind of like calm up it's like they always open it up it's kind of like a subdued song kind of like yeah. but it's, it's like but it's so calm where everybody can sing it too cause you hear that in the audience yeah it's like it's on, like you yeah. open up like release and all of a sudden like next time you go into even flows like boom it's yeah, like we're kicking it back yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like so it's just I think it just probably suits it as a better middle of the middle of the concert song but I mean yeah. Where Eddie wants, Eddie gets it. But I mean, sure. but it makes you wonder where those lyrics came from, too. I mean, I'll repeat them again: is that I'll ride the wave where it takes me. I hold the pain, release me. Is it because of his stepfather, or is it because of the father he never knew? It could yeah. have been either. I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. that's, that's he's pretty cryptic. But I mean, like it's great lyricism. Yeah, I, I think what you like with him is like he keeps it vague enough, like it doesn't become like you know too much about his life, but like he's yeah. letting you have little glimpses into it. I mean. Yeah, because you want it to, like I was saying earlier, it's super relatable. Anybody listening to the song Release Me, like, oh, I can piece it, these it, it words could together. Like, it, 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 it could be about, like, me dropping out of school or yeah. you losing a job. It's just, but it could be the damnedest thing. Like, he could tell you the meaning. It's like, it's not what my dad's about. No. This or that. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's vague, but still so meaningful on different levels. Like, everyone could take their own meaning and, and, from it. Well, and, like, going over it, I think... The more I think about it, I think it's it's up there, and it might be number one yeah. for me. It's just because it's so that much emotion, black, yeah, kind of like emotion. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to say next is that there was tracks that they recorded during this album that didn't make it to the album. Um, if you have that reissue, like they had a few years back of uh, yeah, ten, that's one I bought. Yeah, the reissue, and they had they had six songs that never made it to that album that they put on there, and one of them was uh, "Brother," "Just a Girl." Breathe and Scream, 
State of Love and Trust, which ended up on the singles soundtrack. Which is along. the demo. Like a, like a, like a raw version. No, and it's so good. Uh, and there's one more after you get done with this that was a Japanese track. I don't know if you saw that, but like, it's an amazing one because they mentioned What was that? It. I've got a feeling by the Beatles. Like, oh, really? Have you ever, oh, heard, really? Oh, yeah. ever heard? Yeah, they had that as a B-side, like on a Japanese version. Because uh-huh. uh, the article in the Guitar World was talking about Mike McCready was saying that at the beginning of their career, they only had like 25 minutes worth of material to play. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would do like State of Love and Trust, and they also did I've Got a Feeling the cover by the Beatles. Could you imagine seeing them back oh. in like 91? It's like... Fucking it. I mean, most bands, when they're starting... I wonder if I saw them play that and I don't remember that because I was so young like, and I, I mean, can't when remember most, that far back. When most bands are starting wow. out, they have to have like their cover because like you see a new band like they throw at least one cover out there because they got to engage the fans somehow it's like that terrapin station on your entrance yes sir yeah <laughs> right on brother right okay on. but uh <laughs> like, i mean we get more to this talk i mean they're saying their first major tour after the album came out was supporting the chili covers on the blood sugar sex magic along with nirvana and the smashing pumpkins this crazy. is like this is like but then they're saying like Playing like twenty people in Oakland, like a hundred people maybe in Vancouver, but I mean it was just kind of wow coming up. This is like ninety one. Imagine being one of those people and got to see that. And then oh, like he's yeah. just saying, uh, per Mike McCready, I just wanted to go out and tear it up as hard as we could, you know, for the twenty five minute slot we had, because we only had one record's worth of songs and a cover of the Beatles' "Let It Be" track. I've got a feeling, which we used to do a bit back then, and then maybe "State of Love and Trust." That was kind of it. State of it's Love like, and Trust is another one. Man. A great fucking song, man. I mean, that one is like I mean, we could, one I, of my favorites. If we want, and if we wanted to put it like to twelve songs, yeah, I would probably bump everything, bump like the bottom three or four down to be able to put Love and Trust, State of Love and Trust, a little higher. I really am not going to. Maybe even flow would flip flop with something. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like I, I think it's like one of those rocking. It's only like a two minute song. Yeah, it's just. The other two songs that were on there that you can tell were really rough cuts was uh, 2,000 Mile Blues and Evil Little Goat, which were really rough cuts of those songs. Definitely, you could tell Breathe and Scream came from other songs, um, obviously. Yes. And uh, what's crazy is that they filmed singles also, like, right as, like, this whole thing was going on. You know, Eddie, Jeff, and Stone were all in that movie together. And it's a great, you know, if anybody hasn't seen that movie, I check it out highly. Uh, they are in this band called Citizen Dick, which they released a 45. Uh, Matt Dillon's the lead singer, who is hilarious in this role. Yeah, those are the songs they didn't release. I mean, I was late to the train on Pearl Jam, but I mean, just 90s, I mean, yeah, that was like when they were big. But uh, I think that probably the first track, yeah, that probably got me would have probably been... Jeremy, but I mean that was everybody. Mm-hmm. But just but I, do you going, remember when you heard them for the first time, like after that? Probably going up in Chicago. I mean, you heard them on like Q one hundred and one, which was like uh-huh. the rock station. Like they yeah. broke everything. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. and then hearing like stuff off of verse. I mean, like Glorified G, which is still probably one of my top ten songs. I mean, because they used to play the weird stuff like that. Like they got away with that in Chicago. Like here, it's like if you listen to a rock station here in the Quad Cities, like if you're gonna hear Pearl Jam, I can guarantee you ninety nine percent is coming off of ten. Yeah, it's like not bad. I think we're so comfortable also with our streaming and, you know, and podcasts and, like, satellite radio and stuff, too. It's like, you know, it's kind of cool to see radio stations actually try to get out of their norm and do something different. Well, part of it, too, is that they're not corporate-owned, so they, mm-hmm. they're, pri- they're privately-owned, so they can play stuff that's not on a yeah. format. Mm-hmm. Like, some guy in New York City's telling me here in the middle of the cornfields of Iowa, like, 
you can't play a like dissident. Like yeah. I don't want I want you playing that song. You gotta play nothing but alive or the big four off ten. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's well, like what do you feel is like a like or a stage, rats like we feel or, like. You know, what do you feel is like a disc jock? He wants to expose people to the music. It's like I can only play these same four songs. That's uh-huh. why these songs, as good as they are, they've been beaten to the ground so many times. If we were making yeah. a ranking out of every single Pearl Jam album, these songs probably wouldn't be in my top twenty, yeah. except for Black, maybe. Release and Porch would. Probably I mean, but of but like the big four. Yeah. I mean, I'm not oh, talking yeah. about like the deeper. I'm talking about yeah. like if you're going alive, Jeremy, even. Oh, uh, I got what you're saying. Well, and like, I think too, like a big thing is, I'm kind of a, a history nut in that sense mm-hmm. of. I like, I don't know, I could be the only person, but I like when you listen to the radio and that song comes on, you're like, oh yeah, that's that tune or something. You know, yeah. like, you didn't get to choose it, but when it comes on, it's more gratifying than me going and choosing the song. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's like you're kind of hoping that they pick good song, but you know, like JT was saying, you're going to get a live, even flow. Yeah. And I'm just kind of So like, when you can go can to a station out. that's out of that norm, you know, more props to them. Yeah, if they were to play like Garden, I'd be like, whoa. You know, that, yeah. now I'm like tuned in. I want to hear it. Yeah, or I mean, if I heard uh, In Hiding, like if they played In Hiding, like stuff like that, there were singles, but like they just don't uh-huh. keep it in the rotation. Yeah. Which, maybe we should just go through every album. <laughs> we, 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 every we, we will. Album. I, well, I'm we down could, for we, that. because We can even just go with like some classic albums to begin with, too. Like, I mean, yeah. Pearl Jam albums would be a good good start, but we could always go like Beatles, like Floyd, just something yeah, like that. I, I would like to yeah, definitely go through like some top catalog stuff. Or what's that? Like, even like Zeppelin, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. We could like dissect some of those albums. I've been like, trying to tap into my dad about that because my dad, you know, so that was his generation. Like, mm-hmm. like, do you remember when you heard that for the first time? Because I'm like, I love that shit, you know? Like, or when you heard Black Sabbath for the first time, or like, because he had these albums in his collection. I can remember when I heard this album for the first time, when you know, because that I grew up with that. So when you can hear like the other side of that story, like when this album broke, this is what it was like. This is the reaction they got. It's a great thing, you know. I think with as far as reacting to albums and stuff, I think that would be a blast. Like yeah. doing certain like main albums because I think just the way we we're doing this one, I guarantee you we do. Uh, Led Zeppelin four, uh-huh. you know, or I'm gonna love Misty Mountain Hop a lot more than probably you are, especially like when they use it in like almost famous, like they just yeah. do. Oh hell yeah! We saw that at the Heart concert too. She Let's that song. do that next time around. We're gonna talk about a movie and a soundtrack, and we're gonna do Almost Famous. That could be like a three-hour podcast. No, no, we're way able to do it. But let's do it. That's not a bad thing. It's just like there's. And the reason for that is because there's an audience out there that wants to hear that. I know of already a handful of people, and one in particular that would love to hear us talk about this movie and the soundtrack and how it ties into you know like being one of the. I have personal reasons to why I love it so much, and that is because I am a Cameron Crowe fan. I mean, what is it? Cameron Crowe, who actually directed the Pearl Jam, uh, was it ten? Uh, 20. 20, sorry, 20, 20 minutes. And yeah, he, directed, he directed singles. Yeah, yes. yeah. But I'm Stuff like that. I watched it for Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to come back to, to the to the, to the 10 album again. There's a few things when I was reading stuff that I wanted to quote that was like quotes that were happening during that time. I went through and did research as far as like, how are they feeling? Like, how are they dealing with their fame? How are they dealing with like this album? And it's, you know, and Eddie said something that stuck with me that I wanted to quote is that, um, he got interviewed by somebody, and I don't remember who exactly because it didn't give me this right here in front of me, but he said, um, regarding his lyrics, uh, Better said, all I really believe in is this fucking moment right now. And that actually is what the whole album talks about, is this album right now. 
And I'm thinking, holy shit, you're right. I mean, that's why some of the best material is made is because you're putting all your emotion into it. You're not trying to be something different. And that's what he did with this album. He made that his moment, his snapshot for that time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty succinct. I mean, it's... The 90s kind of were a weird time. Like, this is, like, expanding beyond, like, hair metal being killed off and then grunge emerging. But, like, looking back, I don't refer to this as much as grunge. I just refer to it as, like, classic rock with just more of a raw edge. Because, I mean, I would tend to think as grunge having more of, like, the punk elements. I mean, Nirvana was labeled as a grunge band, but I think they were more of, like, the punk element. I mean, clearly, like... Mike McCready being influenced by Stevie Ray Vaughan, being influenced by B.B. King, like all those blues yes. elements. It's like, there was just something yeah. to this album, like you listen to it now, it's not so much grunge or alternative, it's just it's straightforward rock. It is ACDC Black, it is Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon, it is Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, it is those albums. It's like, there is the, like they say, the Rushmore. This is a Rushmore of albums of all time as far as rock and roll go. Yeah, and no it, doubt. It's, it's just one of those things. Because I just want to add to that sense. I mean, I think grunge was just more of like the fashion sense than yes. it was the music. I mean, they lumped it in because they were up there wearing flannel. and The media it, was doing that. Yeah, but it's yeah. like guys who look like me, like clean cut, could be playing music like this. It's like, but yeah. it's, not, it's not grunge. It's just straightforward alternative rock. And I could yeah. be wrong here, but I feel like that time, not more aware, but I feel like people were coming into more of like a, we're not just going to accept the way stuff's going on. Yeah, we're taking Even it back like ownership. Even like Van Halen had yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, it was commercial, but it was a very, like, right with right now. Yeah. That, that was the same year, but yeah. it was very, uh, I guess, forward versus, you were, early Van Halen wasn't caring about what was going on in the late 70s. Yeah, they were partying. Yeah. Inflation, you yeah, know, yeah, I don't yeah. care. And I think at the time that this was written, I mean, they were in the Seattle scene. I mean, Seattle at that time wasn't gentrified. It was kind sure. of like still hard, yeah. hard-edged yeah. millionaire, billionaires like Bill Gates and Jeff oh, Bezos. It's, huge, it's like, yeah. now it's like everyone moves there. It, like, it used to be kind of like they were the outsiders. That's why the music sounded that way. I mean, it, it, I mean Eddie Vedder That's grew up okay. in Chicago, but if he would have still been living in Chicago... Would, he, would that album sound more like the Smashing Pumpkins or yeah. just something along those lines? Where would, where would Eddie be for that matter as far as, you know, what if Andrew Wood didn't die? You know, wouldn't, oh, you know wow. I mean, think about that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play with this album that if history would have sh- shifted or altered in a different direction, these little things that happen and being thankful for the things that have happened in your life, this mm-hmm. is one of them. I mean, um, the other thing I was going to bring up is that the album singles featured two B-sides from 10 recording sessions which were not included on the album, Wash and Yellow Leadbetter. The former was a B-side on the Alive single, while the latter was featured on the Jeremy single, and eventually became a radio hit in 1994. Both songs were included on the 2003 Lost Dogs collection of rarities, although the included version of Wash is an alternate take, the song alone was also originally recorded for 10. A 1992 recorded version of the song is also on the Go single, Another version of Alone, which re-recorded vocals, appears on Lost Dogs. According to Mike McCready, Alone was cut from 10 because the band already had enough mid-tempo songs from the album. The song Dirty Frank, which was released on a B-side on the Even Flow single and often thought to be a 10 outtake, was recorded after 10 was actually released. Thus, Dirty Frank is not from the 10 recording sessions for all those who think that. Wow, I didn't know that. See, I want to get JT's 
feel for uh, Yellow Lead better? I would say, like, if you want to get technical, like when it was recorded versus released, I would say Yellow Lead Burby Top, like, above everything else song-wise. I mean, that's, yeah. like, their song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, studio version, amazing, but, like, if you see, like, them play it live, oh. like, never the same solo. Like, and, and it's like a four, eight-bar solo. It's over before you know it. Like, it's just a couple notes, microphone plays, and gets right back into it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, some of the most emotional, like, 15, 20 seconds of music. That's McCready's baby. Like, he, 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 yeah. Jimi Hendrix, that's his. Yeah. He, he goes so far on the album, like, the solo on the album's almost, like, twice as long as it'll be if you see him live, but it's, like, I, I, I still see it's, like, I want more, but I've had enough at the same time. Oh, like, every time. <laughs> it's, like, he can leave you wanting more, but all at the same time, it's, like, if he played it for like 20 or 30 seconds, like an extended out solo, it's like, I just think that it would just be too much. Like, he just gets in and gets out, and well, that's what's so beautiful about it. I think it was uh, Halloween of 2009. Uh-huh. They were in Philly. for the, It was the last time of the Spectrum. The Spectrum was going away. Uh-huh. They played back-to-back nights, and it was like four hours. Like, stupid long. It's one of these uh, bootlegs that I purposely went and bought. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And if you ever... You can go on YouTube and watch it, but, like, that live performance of Yellow Leadbetter at the end is phenomenal. Like, uh-huh. you talk about emotion, like, that's what I always think of when I think of Yellow Leadbetter is that. Because uh-huh. all the lights are on. There's no, like, nothing going. It's just him. It's like black. He's got a hat on backwards, and he's just, like, literally eyes closed just doing what he does. And everybody's just, like, you see everybody comes Yeah, they're just watching him. Like, that to me, I get goosebumps. I mean, that was the last song they played in Moline. I mean, like, it's always their last song. It's like, I kind of dig they just turn the lights up at the end so that they can see the crowd, the crowd can see them. It's like, it's just a real... Yeah. It's a fan favorite that fans of Pearl Jam love it, and you're getting your, like, thank you at the end. It's like a goodbye song. Yeah, it's it's, it's a thank you, in my opinion. Here, thank you. We love you. This is for you guys. And it's like, if you've heard, like, they're recording at the Gorge when they released their album, like, they did that going into Little Wing. Yes. That's just, like, when they do stuff, like, like I said, he just has probably played 300 different versions of the song, 300 different solos. Mm-hmm. And they, there's just small little changes between some of them, but others just like, there's basic like, he just is in, out, and they can go back to the song. I, th- I think he does that a lot. Like, as far as his, mm-hmm. I bet you if I went back and listened to the, the five shows I've seen, the guitar tone is different almost every single time, especially mm-hmm. with that yeah. song. Well, you know what I mean? I love it. The, the, co- well, the, the chorus and the verses, it's the same, but like it's more of the yeah. solo. That's what I think. Like, it's yeah, just, it's just like, and I just try and play along with some of the videos. It's like, I don't even know what he's doing. It's just like, it's, <laughs> it's, just it's easy. It. No, it's just easy, but it's just like all the feel. He's like, like then done. Like, you don't even yeah. have time to watch what he's doing because it's just a couple bends. Yeah. Because he, he's only playing like two or three notes, but like he bends up, holds it, and releases back to the note he started playing. And it's just like real. Yeah. I have a feel smooth. like if this out, al- if that track was released in this album, that would probably be one of your higher tracks. That, that would have been oh, number right. one. Like, yeah. like black. It would, I, I mean, yeah, everything probably would have went down a spot, but like it would have ended with Yellow Lead Better being at the top. I mean, I'm pretty happy why I ranked it, but if that would have been on the album, everything would have went down a notch. Yellow Lead Better, but if we're talking every song they've ever recorded, that's during, still during my that session, song. Yeah, yeah. And to wash that song, I've heard it. I feel like it's been at the opener of like every show I've been to, so I kind of got burnt out on Wash. That is a fantastic song to open up the show, and I, I feel. Thing washes like it's got that slow brooding, just kind of like, mm-hmm. all right, here we go, we're gonna get into it. You know what I mean? Type, yeah. Type I mean, of song. And when they played here in Moline, I mean, obviously it was because we're a smaller town with an elderly woman behind the counter yeah. in a small town. It's like, 
Yeah, that's perfect. It's like, I don't think there's any bad song they could pick for an opener, like, no matter what they've recorded. But, I mean, there's just others you'd be more or less shaking your head, like, why are you doing that? But I I would sit there and I'd, sometimes I'd question, like, why why would he pick that as the song? But then, like, if I go back and I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. You imagine if you were singing and you're setting the tone as the band. Like, uh-huh. you want those style songs to get you going. You don't want to just... All right, even flow, we're starting out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah but it's good. Like, they don't do, like, the same song over up every set. I yes. Mean, yeah. Even if they would change it up, it's like, even if they played 29 different songs every single time, if I wouldn't have known, like, that's going to be their first song out, it just takes the magic out because you're trying to guess. Is Eddie just not feeling tonight? I mean, he's not going to show up, but if he's not feeling, he's probably not going to start it off with something well, and that, like that. I, if I recall, that Spectrum show, or maybe it was in Boston. I don't know. I think it was on that, that tour of... Uh, Backspacer? Yes. That, I think they didn't play, like, they didn't repeat a song for, like, four days or something like that. And they went through. I, I believe it was that tour. But I'm like, how awesome would that have been if yeah. you were like, oh, yeah, I bought tickets to see, you know. Didn't get a single song to be repeated. You know, we went seeing two nights at Wrigley twice. You get repeats because yeah. you know not everybody can afford the tickets for both shows. Or get lucky yes. enough to win them. So, you know, you yeah. got to play the crowd favorites both times. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but can you imagine like a show with no alive? I'm coming back to like do the evolution it's like throw something else in there yeah like, like, that's what f- fans want that but like obviously if you're a semi fan yeah like I know people out there that went to that Moline show and we're like that sucked you know and it's like I loved it and, 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 and it was because fan, they didn't play a lot of the hits you know they played a few but not a lot when I saw them in Memphis on that 2014 tour a couple times before they came here uh, they were with Pendulum into Wash, into Low Light. Low Light's probably my favorite track off of Yield. Mm-hmm. That album. I feel like that's an underrated album. Than yeah. I think a lot of people who aren't like just casual fans do rank that like as one of their best. Like if they're saying like it's either verse or ten is their first, that Yield comes like at number two. It's a really under, and I gotta go listen to more of it. But it's like it's got Faithful on it, which is another one of those real Eddie kind of. I always think Brain of Jay. If you're ever going to sh- start a show... One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Oh, Let's my go. gosh. And then just go into that, I'm like, okay. Right. So I think, and I think it was like Mike McCree was calling out time, but like it wasn't the right time for the song. They were trying to ca- count out like how fast the song was. <laughs> yeah. he, was doing, he was doing it to... I have to look that up. He was, like, he was doing that to like, screw him up. A Miller side note here is that uh, the song Footsteps began as an instrumental demo and was compiled onto the Stone Gosser Demos 91 tape. Vetter added vocals to the version after he received the demo tape. The music for for footsteps was also used for Temple of the Dogs, Times of Trouble. Did not know that. Did you? Chris Cornell. Yep. That was the first time I had ever heard footsteps. Basically, it was Chris Cornell singing it, and then I was like, "Oh hmm. wait, that wasn't even his song." So the promoters decided that Pearl Jam should be replaced um, with a more successful act when they were going to be on tour with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. The only reason why they stayed on that tour afterwards was because Epic executive Michael Goldstone observed that the band did such an amazing job opening for Chili Peppers tour that it opened the doors at radio. So that's when like the money for Epic like boosted the radio popularity and got those songs out there a lot more. Just think like if this person didn't have like that boom moment going to see them live i mean like that much power that's how much live for pearl jam changed somebody's impact on how they were going to be and that kind of set the tone for how they are now for their entire career because when they were challenging ticketmaster when grunge started dying out 
Pearl Jam have maintained their popularity worldwide because of their live act, in my opinion. They're only banned if they release an album, it's going to hit the top of the charts for maybe a week or two, and then it'll die out, but they'll also be successful in the tour. And that always makes me wonder, too, like, wow, this album is such a great album, but like, you know that the studio had their hands on this album. Like, they may have said, like, yo, I better send Fib, like, who's to say, like, the executive said, oh, it sounds too much like Hendrix, we can't have that today. Yeah. It's like... Or, what, what are you trying to do here? This sounds like nothing that we're selling right now, you know? Like, but somebody at that record company said... Smartly. I mean, no, this is going to be something. This is the new. This is the new it. This is. I the mean, new like thing. Tom Petty, like on Into the Great Wide Open, like he literally is Eddie. Like the AR AR man said, I don't hear a single. I mean, yeah. you mentioned like Tom Petty, Eddie Vedder, hearing some guy who gets paid to say like this band sounds good, that band sounds good, says like I don't think that anything on this album is worth listening to, mm-hmm. and then yet you have an album that sells like ten million copies. Like it just goes to show that. Yeah. It's the music, the lyrics, and and the emotion that they put behind it, and for what they stood for, and not they didn't they they weren't trying to be an image, they were just trying to be themselves, and that's what paid off in the long run. I think that authenticity is huge with them. They've never yeah. strayed from it. They're always nope. been the same. I think people, it almost gives it a blue collar feel, kind of yeah. like a. I don't know who you could say be kind of the I same. mean they're they're more like the they're more like the Stones to like another group's Beatles. I mean they were yeah. just more like mm-hmm. I'd agree with I agree. I I listen to the Beatles for like well-written songs. I would listen to the Stones so I'm just feeling more I just want to listen to like some straight rock and roll. I mean Yeah. The, I agree. I mean as Pearl Jam went on obviously Eddie got more like his Beatles side where he was like doing experimental mm-hmm. stuff but like the first two yeah. or three albums there's nothing experimental. Well, like, no codes really really kind of Just yeah. think about this though. The think about like we talked about in the last episode about all these albums that came out that it was Nirvana Nevermind, Pearl Jam 10, and Soundgarden, yeah. and Bad Motor Finger, and those three albums, you know, here's Soundgarden who already had stuff out, right? Here's Nirvana who already had stuff out. And if you would have said, okay, at, those, at that time when I, when I was living as a teenager, I would have probably told you that not, nothing against Pearl Jam because I love them. If you would have told me that they're going to be huger than those two other bands, like Nirvana, like Nirvana was so fucking huge at that moment in time, I would have probably been like, no, there's no way, you know, and like Nirvana not be huger than Pearl Jam, but who knew what was going to happen with all that, you know, and who would have known that the drummer would have turned into, you know, the guy he is now. And it was a crap shoot for this album to come out and to have the success that it had and the impact that it had, you know, 30 years later is something that I great that I get to talk to you guys about it because I've lived this album. I love that I have a brother-in-law who's a couple years older than me that this is one of his favorite albums. And he's seen Pearl Jam you know, a lot of times and loves them just as much as me. With that being said, I, I think that we go down these little rabbit holes in life and we talk about the emotions that these songs bring us and the importance that we feel in these songs. And I like to hear more from people out there about made them impact them with 10. I would love to hear like why the one songs in particularly more one of their favorites versus somebody else's favorites. I also want to talk about I've doubled my downloads in the last uh, month and a half, two months. So you guys have a big part of doing that. And I think that 
what I'd like to see more is us doing things like this. Is that, is that just a certain Terry Hogan? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Terry yeah. Hogan's reason. Is, is, is that just him forgetting he's listening to it and wants he has to listen to it every single day? Yeah. It's like, he's, just four, he's just off 400 listens. Um, yeah. yeah, Terry Hogan's one of uh, our old managers. We all used to work together at a store. And uh, if he's listening to this, shout out. We'll see if he is or not because he'll let me know. <laughs> Typical. Typical. <laughs> Are you still doing your jam sessions? Uh, yeah, uh, kind of hit and miss with some of them for the next couple of weeks I've been going to. But yeah, there's the one at uh, Monday nights at O'Keefe's in downtown Moline. Goes mm-hmm. 8.30 p.m. to midnight-ish. Hosted by Sean Ryan of The Dawn. He has okay. guest hosts every week. So right on. just look at him on Facebook. You'll be able to find it. And uh, the one on Thursday nights at my place, the pub in uh, yeah. Riverdale. And so. what do you got coming up? Not much. Uh, next week I'm going to Lollapalooza, so yeah. we'll be able to have a little bit of a talk about. Yeah, get some to see the Foo Foo Fighters on Sunday night. Yes, Journey, which is a good one. I mean, yeah. like one year it was like Muse and Coldplay playing at the same time. So you're like, who do you pick? You go with Muse, but yeah. it's just like but you want to you want to see one band. I've seen Muse, Muse is before so that awesome, though. though. So awesome. Like, but wanting to see Coldplay too, it's like you get ones like that where it's like, oh my god. I actually like, bought um, Russia Blood. To the head uh, last week on vinyl, and I listened to that. I haven't listened to that album in years. Um, I'm great grateful that you get to go see that next week and uh, get to see Foo because I've been I've not seen Foo yet. I, and this is your second or third. Second, yeah. I saw them back in 2011 at Lollapalooza, but like they played the last night, and you may like read stories about it online, but like it was like a torrential downpour when oh, they're playing like my yeah, hero. It's like yeah. I came home. It's like I had to drive home the next day because my mom ended up having knee surgery. But uh-huh. it's like. Have you guys heard of the DGs? Yes, I think we should talk about that maybe on the next one. It's yeah. uh, Reese is giving that look like huh? what? It's uh, oh, no, Dave, we'll, Dave, we'll give a teaser. Give him a teaser. Dave Grohl and the band basically be like, hey, we're gonna do some covers of seventies like disco and yacht rock stuff. So. It's all oh, it's yeah. all the BGs. It's oh. uh, five tracks. I bought <laughs> I, it last weekend. I think they're gonna do day. more stuff. Though. I think it's he, awesome. I think he's gonna do more stuff though beyond even the BGs. I could just see them doing like yeah, all that. I would 70s see him do Rush. I like to see him do uh, Rush. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of got into it with a guy online. It's like. So I was kind of like, yeah, it's like Dave Grohl wants to jam with whoever he wants. He has. He doesn't take game. himself fucking seriously. And that's what that. I love about yeah. him. It's like it's all like, these like haters out there that want to tear somebody down. He's kind of like, I'm going to take a curveball and go even in a weirder direction. I said he's going to he'll jam out with Zach Del Roca at noon, and then go to Taylor Swift's at like <laughs> one, at dinner time, yeah. and he'll have just as much fun, you know. But the I guy, think that's where we all are. Yeah. Like honestly, like nobody gets stuck in a pigeonhole. Like, I only listen to rock music. We all. Yeah. But love, I like, think Taylor Swift has some good songs. So don't yeah. even be a hater. But I think when it comes to actual recording of songs yeah i think some artists are so hemmed in by like their fan base what their a and r man says it's like you hear like these death metal bands like oh yeah i like to listen to like classical music and blues in my free time yeah. it's like but i don't hear any of that in your playing what i want to ask you is like i delved into john a little bit here is like something we haven't talked in this podcast we'll talk briefly about is that i want to know what it's going to be like for you reese raising a child with your musical love you're having a child coming into this world here in a few months. Yes, I am. Uh, I don't know. I've thought about it. Uh, I think I'm going to be that that dad that's going to embarrass my kid for sure. Because <laughs> I'm going to be, I, I'm just a very, like, I'll be dancing in the car or whatever we'll be jamming out to. Because yeah. it was the other day that happened. But I think uh, I'm definitely going to push them, influence them just to do whatever they like. Yeah. Like, the way I was. I never... I grew up with classic rock. I love it, but yeah. I'm super eclectic in that way, and I think it's helped me get.
gain friends. Yeah. You know, I haven't ever been like the guy who's like, I stick to this one crowd. It's yeah. just kind of like, oh, I, I dig all this. Yeah, Why not? You, who you know? knows is what I'm saying, that your kid might turn you into something that you didn't oh know. Oh, my gosh. I'll, I'm going to hate my kid's music, guaranteed. <laughs> it's, it's It'll so come cool. out and be like, what is this? And then I'll love it, and then I have to, <laughs> yeah. you know. Which obviously when I see these kids are like 16, 17 playing like Hendrix kind of stuff, it's like, you feel like they're learning from the past, kind of making it their own, where it's like, mm-hmm. you can see like Greta Van Fleet. It's like, true. Where they're, they're guys that are in their early to mid-20s, where it's kind of like, I'm sure that's all their parents listened to growing up. Mm-hmm. But where it becomes a blatant rip-off, it's like, that's where it becomes a little, a little disingenuous. It's like, I don't, yeah. need, I don't need to hear 20-year-olds doing nothing but Led Zeppelin yeah. covers <laughs> yeah. and pass it off as like new music. I mean, yeah, like, but when you get some like the Royal Bloods or 21 Pilots, you know, get, get out well, Yeah, there. Royal Blood. Like, you know, I mean, true. just, you know, you get these bands that actually create their own new kind of rock. Yeah, I, I love 21 Pilots. Like, no... Like no, like my no, wife loves them. We went and seen them. Yeah, they, seen they, them. I've seen them twice. I, I've seen them twice. It, even if you don't listen to the music, like you just watch what they're doing on stage, yes. it's like super artistic. It's yeah, it's all about the show with them. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. I, yeah. I knew their one hit, whatever that their number one hit was at the time, and I yeah. went. I was, I was pretty blown away that I was like, yeah, oh, they're more musically inclined than I thought. It was, like, I thought it's it's just be kind of standard. Pop. I think they have some other guys in the band now, but like for a while, it was just the two of them up on stage. Yeah, yeah that's all I. I think, but I think now, like they have a couple guys touring on stage with them to kind of fill out the sound a little more. But like when I saw, it, I was like, yeah, just the two of them. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I would know. love to. I would love to hear a band that is now a band in their twenties that are influenced by Pearl Jam. Like I would love to know like how they got into it and why and so on. You know, Jake Dolan. Yeah. Country music. Yeah. Huge Pearl Jam fan. Yeah. Grew up with that. That's why uh, when he does sound checks, that's what they do is they play Pearl Jam. Yeah. Which I, that's one thing that I was like, wow, that's weird. I would have never uh-huh. thought, you know. But I was saying, it doesn't come across in this sound. That's what I'm saying. It's like, artists yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't be afraid to be pigeonholed into, like, one thing. If you like what you like, put it in your music. I, mm-hmm. I do know that I will force Pearl Jam on me. I mean, hear a lot of Pearl Jam, so they're going to be Because, like, I mean, that's yeah, like, I like, mean, like you've seen over the years, like, Dave Grohl, like, the Sonic Highways album. Like, where yeah. he just does all that. Like, he's going to record whoever wants to come in the room with him. Like, and I think it yeah. just makes you a better artist, especially to learn... How to play different sounds? Like, I mean, I can't play death metal, but like, I do like country licks. I can do like blues. It's like mm-hmm. it makes you just a better player. Well, work better musician. on it. Work on it. I know. It. <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. it just makes you a better musician overall to have several yeah. different styles under your belt, even if you don't always use them, just to kind of well, I think get it, that feel. And that's one thing that to tie this all up is that I'm a history nerd in that sense. I love history, yeah. so. Music was kind of a, just another history thing that I could just jump into. Yeah. It's like, it goes on forever. So, uh-huh. go to this decade. Oh, they were influenced by so-and-so. The, you know. So. Well, with, with that being said, I, uh, I was thinking of something that would be a great ending to this podcast. And I thought about it actually on the drive here. My favorite quote is something that many Pearl Jam fans have tattooed on them and brought up in, like, social media... Um, notes and stuff and uh i i can only wish this amongst you my two of my good friends here jt money john turner and uh reese argo is that i'll ride the wave where it takes me thank you for listening to music seeds the music that made us hi this is johnny i'm your host and you are listening to music seeds the music that made us. Hello, everybody. Johnny here. 
This podcast was 30 years in the making. JT Money, Mr. Rizargo, and myself sit down and discuss Pearl Jam's 10, which was released 30 years ago this month. We rank the album by going through each track in order. Some great choices here as far as our ranking goes and some surprises. I hope you enjoy. We also discuss some side notes as far as the history of the album and the record company's expectations. And also a little bit of discussion on Lollapalooza 2021, the DG's album, and how some of the new rock that's out there is very inspiring. I hope you enjoy it. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can get a hold of me on my email, ozomotfan87 at gmail.com. That's O-Z-O-M-A-T-F-A-N 87 at gmail.com. Also, you can get a hold of me at Facebook at musicmadeseeds.com. Please rate us at the bottom. I would love to hear back from you, especially all the Pearl Jam fans out there. Also, just uh, give me a shout out if you like. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy.